Suffering Stitcher Boy Marty here to introduce this rip of TFTC. I sat down with Danny DeKroger, formerly of Cash App and BitGo, now out on his own, spreading his wings, working on DZ and Tau, both having to do with the Lightning Network. Fascinating conversation. You guys are going to learn a lot in this one. I certainly did. So exciting what's going on right now. Very excited to see what Danny goes out there and builds on the on the very sound foundation he seems to have with his products. This trip was brought to you by our good friends at Unchained Capital, right down the hall. Right down the hall. You can throw a rock at them and say, hey, what's up, guys? What a fight. I would never do that. I could do that, but why would I do that? I love those people, especially their trading desk, which is the best way to buy Bitcoin. You go to unchained.com slash trading. You find out what state... If your state is available to participate in the trading desk, I believe they have 36 states now. They're adding states. Seems like week in and week out, they should have all 50 states at some point in the near future. But again, it's the best way to buy Bitcoin. Instead of buying on exchange, holding it on exchange, an IOU, uh, you go to, to Unchained's Bitcoin trading desk and you buy, and Bitcoin never sits on an exchange. It gets sent directly to a two or three multi-sig wallet that you control two of the three keys. Go straight to your vault, straight to multi-sig cold storage. It's a beautiful thing. The easiest process, no thinking. You buy, it goes to your wallet, your cold storage. You buy, it goes to your cold storage. You don't have to buy, get your keys, move it off the exchange to your wallet, check all the addresses, boom, buy in cold storage. I've used it. It's a seamless process. If you haven't set up a multi-sig vault yet. If you're a Bitcoiner, a business, a high net worth individual, what are you waiting for? Reach out to their concierge team, get onboarded onto the vault team. Then if you already have a vault and you want to purchase Bitcoin via Unchained, uh, go to unchained.com slash trading, unchained.com slash trading. Easiest, most secure way to buy Bitcoin. Straight to cold storage. This rip is also brought to you by good friends at Brains. 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 You just start whispering to the people. It gets the juices flowing. People love the company brains. It's not like Jeffrey Dahmer like eating brains. This is like brains making your ASIC operation smarter. It idiot proofs your ASIC operation. They're OS plus firmware. They're auto-tuning firmware. So if you're running brains OS plus firmware on an ASIC that is compatible with it, it helps you stack more sats going to make you hash more efficiently. It's going to help you elongate the life cycle of your ASIC. It's going to help you manage things better. Most importantly, it's going to help you stack more sats, which is extremely important when hash price is hovering around six cents per terahash per day, which is not great, not very profitable. So you need to be taking advantage of all the tools at your fingertips in Brains OS Plus firmware is one of the most important tools you could be using. So go to brains.com, B-R-A-I-I-N-S.com. Go to the Brains OS Plus firmware page. See if you are running ASICs that are compatible with the firmware. And if you are, download it. If not, you are an idiot. Brains.com, B-R-A-I-I-N-S.com. They have Brains Pool. They have the OS Plus firmware. They have insights. And they have their blog and books as well, one of which I wrote the forward to. This trip is also brought to you by our good friends at HODL. HODL, HODL, HODL is here to bring you a peer-to-peer -peer lending platform. No KYC, no AML, lower rates, leverages Bitcoin multi-sig properties. 
It's a beautiful thing. You put Bitcoin up as collateral in a two or three multi-sig escrow account. You hold one key. Your counterparty in the loan holds one key. And HODL HODL holds the third key. Since you have one key in that two or three multi-sig quorum, you have visibility into the collateral escrow account throughout the duration of the loan. So you know that your SATs are not being rehypothecated. And if you pay your loan back plus the interest associated with it, you are going to get your SATs back at the end of the day. Alternatively, if you are holding a bunch of stable coins, you want to get yield on those, uh, you offer them up to Bitcoiners looking for liquidity, looking for loans. Uh, and you'd attach an interest rate to that and you get paid back plus the interest. It's a beautiful thing. If you don't get paid back, you get the SATs in the escrow account. Again, no KYC, no AML, peer-to-peer, lower rates, leveraging Bitcoin's multi-sig properties. It's a beautiful thing. Lend.hodlhodl.com. Last but not least, this rip was brought to you by our good friends at Upstream Data. Upstream Data is here to take care of all your mining needs, whether you're an at-home miner or a large industrial miner who's using a lot of natural gas in the upstream oil and gas market. Uh, at home, they have their black boxes. If you use the code FREAKS, you're going to get 5% off the black box. Go to shop.upstreamdata.ca. Use the code FREAKS, 5% off. The black box allows you to put miners into the box. You shut the box, and it it significantly reduces the noise to save your marriage and to prevent your neighbors, your uh, HOA, from, from complaining about the noise. It also controls the heat to make sure the miners aren't, aren't burning up. It's got good airflow in there. Uh, They've got a black box for two miners, and they have another one with that can fit many more miners as well. Uh, you can also buy bundles if you can't acquire the ASICs. Upstream can help you with that. Uh, and then alternatively, larger scale, they build infrastructure for people looking to mine Bitcoin at scale, uh, different scales. I have a 50 kilowatt hash hut, so they have their hash huts that comes with a generator. And again, if you want the ASICs, they can get ASICs for you as well. Um, so I have some stranded natural gas wells that I'm acquiring. I buy hash huts and the generators. Generators are beast. Uh, haven't had any problems with ours to date. Uh, you plug them in, you run the generator, you start mining Bitcoin. The hash hut is designed to facilitate the airflow and make sure that, that the ASICs aren't crapping out. And then the generator is top notch. The only time you ever have downtime is whether you have gas issues, which isn't the fault of the hash hut, or if you just need to change the generator. That's the only time we've had downtime is when we need to change the oil in the generator less than 45 minutes at a time, once every three months or whatever, once a month maybe. Uh, I have a 50 kilowatt hash shot or developing 180 kilowatt, 900 kilowatt hash shots as well. You don't have to be using natural gas if you're a utility company with excess electricity. You can leverage the hash shot too. They're building infrastructure for miners or people want to get into mining. If you're one of those greedy oil men, you got some profits you're sitting on, you want to diversify into Bitcoin mining, uh, and you don't want to go through the trouble of building the infrastructure yourself, Upstream Data is here for you. For you. Go to upstreamdata.ca. Tell their sales team that TFTC sent you. Enjoy this rip with Danny DeKroger. Okay. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. 
I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. Oh, we're live. What's up, freaks? It's your boy Marty here with Danny DeKroger, who's recently had a departure from Cash App, an amicable departure, to, to spread his wings and build out some projects on the Lightning Network, DZ and Tau. Danny, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks Thanks for having me, Marty. Good to see you remotely here. And yeah, excited to chat, chat a little bit. Well, I'm excited to have you on. I've been badgering you for, it seems like a couple of years now, I think, in terms of an individual who's built out critical infrastructure within the Bitcoin app space. I think you're one of the undervalued, underrated individuals who worked on probably a product that, that more people are having interaction with than, than any other app, arguably, uh, as it pertains to Bitcoin with Cash App. So you were, what was your title of Cash App? What were you working on specifically? So I guess my title was basically just software engineer uh, on the Bitcoin product. Um, and I focused on a lot of the low level Bitcoin stuff, like the hot wallets, uh, sending and receiving, just the on-chain stuff. And then for the last year and a half, uh, was one of the people to sort of lead the lightning integration. Um, so yeah, definitely got my hands dirty in there and was just thrilled to be able to work on Bitcoin at, at cash app. Um, yeah, it was, it was a fun time. What's it like building Bitcoin products for a company and product as big as cash app? So yeah, it was, it was first of all, really fun. I think we had a great, uh, team. And it was a small team that was working on Bitcoin um, that grew over time. But um, I think it's it can be different depending on the company. I think Cash App did a really good job of um, having like different teams be responsible for different parts of the code and helping them to segregate the responsibilities nicely. So like I, I really got to focus on the Bitcoin um, wallets basically. And I didn't, as a team, we got to be hyper-focused on that. Um, so it definitely felt, I mean, it, and then you're part of a big company, so you feel the momentum from a big company, but your, your team is very small and very focused. Um, so I think Cash App particularly was a really cool place to work to do that. And uh, yeah, also just the culture of Cash App being Bitcoin only and very focused, you know, well, Coinbase was building a NFT marketplace that nobody uses. We were rolling out lightning. So, <laughs> <laughs> what are so when it comes to like building hot wallets, cold wallets, lightning integrations at that scale? What are some of the hurdles that you ran into, or the parameters that you were working within that most people may not be aware of? Yeah, there's a lot of interesting stuff. Um, I think, especially with the hot wallets. Uh, I guess I could start there because that was the first stuff I worked on was um, before I got there, they were using like an external provider and then with a little bit of their own built stuff. But then we started building something more from scratch, custom built to handle like all the on-chain volume. Um, so one of the things is transaction batching, just, uh, you know, batching the withdrawals together so that they take up less space. Um, doing coin selection is super interesting um, because the fees you pay on chain can be super, super high. 
and they can be really high if you don't properly manage your UTXOs. Um, so I got to do a lot of stuff on kind of, and actually we had, uh, um, so there's like coin selection, there's batching, there's then consolidation transactions. So it's, what's interesting at cash App is you get a lot of, uh, small UTXO deposits on chain, you know, people depositing 20 bucks, 50 bucks. Um, and so you basically have all this loose change sitting around. And that's expensive to move on chain because it costs it's a lot of data. So then what you do is you want to consolidate those sort of in the background at a low fee rate. So those confirm, you know, it might take it 24 hours or a couple of days for those low fee consolidation transactions to confirm. But then you sort of compress those UTXOs into a bigger one. And then the bigger UTXOs can be used for your big withdrawals. So stuff like that. So yeah, with the hot wallets, there's coin selection, batching. Uh, consolidations, um, and then fee bumping is another super interesting thing. Um, basically, having so it's hard to estimate what fee to pay, but if you use like replace by fee, and you can use child pays for parent, which are just two techniques of um, allowing you to edit the fee after you've sent the transaction, kind of um, to like make sure you don't overpay for your on-chain fees, but you also get your transactions confirmed uh, at exactly, you know, the duration you you want. So anyway, that, that's a quick overview of all the on-chain stuff, but maybe I'll stop there and then we can get into, I can go into more of the Lightning stuff too. No, I think it's fascinating and really good that Cash App is building these processes because that's something I was at an event a couple of weeks ago with a bunch of other Bitcoiners running companies that operate on a, a Bitcoin standard. And that was one of the things that came up. Like a lot of people are using BTC pay server to accept uh, Bitcoin to produce invoices, both on chain and via lightning and myself here at TFTC. It's like one thing that has become glaringly obvious to me as I've been running this Bitcoin on as much of a Bitcoin standard as possible has been running this company on a, as much of a Bitcoin standard as possible is these problems I've run into where, like you mentioned, I have a lot of people donating $5 on chain, paying for shout outs at 60,000 Bitcoin, $50 on chain. And I got to a point last year where I went into my BTC pay server and noticed all these small UTXOs, fee market was high. I was like, holy crap, like I have to create a process to actually consolidate these UTXOs and ensure that I'm not wasting too much money. So when it comes to run, operating a company that revolves around Bitcoin, particularly receiving Bitcoin on chain, like the canvas to create business processes, not even like on chain technical processes, but they result in that. But like thinking as a business, what are my tendencies, when do I consolidate UTXOs? When do I broadcast transactions? How close do I have to monitor the fee, fee uh, market? And then for something like Cash App, like obviously you guys have demand for withdrawals on an ongoing basis day in and day out. So how do you sort of temper what's going on on chain with the demand by our users to, to actually receive their Bitcoin? So it's just like a fascinating part of the industry that's not fully fleshed out yet. Yeah, definitely. It's, um, and I think it's, 
there are like there are known techniques to deal with all this stuff, um, but they're not the tools aren't widely available. Um, I think everyone's just kind of building their own versions of some of these tools. So that's actually interesting. I, I guess I hadn't thought of it that the VTC pay server users would have the same problem. So maybe there's a cool plugin or something that um, might be fun to work on to do, you know, auto consolidations or stuff like that. Um, yeah, I would love like an alert that says, hey, you have X amount of UTXOs equate. Like I'd like to set a threshold whenever I get um, a bunch of UTXOs that add up to 10 million sats. I like to consolidate them into one UTXO um, instead of having to maybe like, oh shit, I got, probably got to do some UTXO consolidation randomly one day and then going in and trying to do the coin selection and, and batch uh, smaller UTXOs together. And then thinking about like the privacy, like I'm batching these together so freaks know that other freaks have paid with these UTXs. It's just a, a very interesting Bitcoin-specific business problem that you run into. Yeah, definitely the privacy, and then also in privacy for you as well. Um, other people might be able to follow their coins and deduce how much you brought in. Um, but yeah, definitely things to think about, tools to build, but also. Lightning, once we start doing more over Lightning, things make it make it even easier, actually. But yes. So why do you say that was your experience, like building the Lightning part of, of Cash App's wallet in the last year and a half? Well, yes. So building the Lightning wallet is was was a lot. Um, I guess what I was saying is from a perhaps from a user perspective, it might be easier when payments start coming in over Lightning if you don't have to worry too much about managing your channels and stuff. But um, yeah, it depends how things play out. But uh, yeah, I guess I can go into the the Cash App Lightning stuff, um, which was uh, super, you know, super proud to be able to help build that. And um, yeah, basically, so one of the big things that Cash App did differently than some others is we elected to use. Um, oh, and for the record, I'm I'm not at Cash App anymore. So. Um, but I am going to, you know, I'm, I can't say anything about future endeavors of the company or things like that, but a lot of this tech is, uh, well known that cash app is used. So, um, only talking about public knowledge and stuff, but, um, yeah, anyway, so cash app elected to use LDK, which is the lightning development kit, um, which was a, the way I like to describe it is it's a, it's a library that helps you build your own lightning node in a really customized way. And um, whereas like if you were to use something like LND, which is very mature and widely used and battle tested, LND kind of like gives you a house and then you can just start using that house. Um, and then there's a whole ecosystem of, you know, additions that people add to have added to the house that you can use. LDK is more, they give you kind of like the parts to a house, but then you can customize how the house is built. And so we wanted that customization and the way to fit it into our current infrastructure because the Cash App cloud infrastructure was like really, really nice and really scalable. Um, and so it was a bit more of an upfront cost to, or upfront work to get it, everything configured and working. But um, the result was basically we have a really nice uh, scalable deployment of a couple lightning nodes. Um, and these nodes kind of work together so they can kind of operate. They like effectively when I left, we had three nodes 
Um, but like, for example, when you, um, a customer like requests a deposit, like an invoice for a deposit, it actually, the payment can come to any of the three nodes, which is pretty interesting. Um, it's called like a phantom invoice. And so there's a way of sort of load balancing uh, the traffic across the three different nodes, um, which is nice because if you just had like one node and you had to, you know, spin down and spin back up for a software change, then you have those, you know, few 30, 30 seconds, a minute maybe where all the deposits would be failing. Um, so something like having three nodes split out, you can have a, uh, an LDK made this super easy. Um, it's just one example of one of the things uh, that they made useful there, or they, they made it easy to do that. But since now we have like high uptime deposits, um, which is what you want for like a really scalable infrastructure. Um, yeah, that redundancy seems like a very big value add. Yeah, definitely. So, but, you know, there was a lot of, uh, you know, LDK is also a very early uh, library as well. So it was sort of a mutual back and forth uh, with, with us and the Spiral team, um, just us giving them feedback or bug reports and then fixing things or catering, you know, new features to our needs. Um, so that was a great experience. I mean, I was just really lucky to learn from uh, the team there, uh, Matt Corallo, Jeff Sizz, uh, Valentin, uh, Arik. Yeah. yeah. And then they've expanded the team recently to even more incredible folks. So, um, yeah, and Steve Lee as well. So, I mean, that's a big debate in the space is how, is the adoption of these different Lightning Network implementations, LND, Core Lightning, Eclair, LDK, Electrum's implementation? You throw that in there as well. How do you how do you view the competition between these different implementations and how they affect the the build out of the overall Lightning Network moving forward? I think it's good to have competition, um, and I think they're all going to find their niche. Um, like, I think they're all going to kind of find their niche in terms of what, who uses them. So I think it seems maybe a little contentious now, but uh, I think they're going to like, for example, I think, you know, I'm already looking at my own, on my own stuff. Like I run an LND node personally, um, but I'm already thinking about how I can use like the LDK pathfinder as an extension to my node to do some type of uh, probing on the network to you know try to predict good routes. So I think there's going to be ways that people mix and match or you know choose different implementations for different reasons. For example, I think you know when people want to build custom uh, mobile wallets, they might want parts of LDK, whereas you can't as well take out you know, parts of LND or parts of Core Lightning, um, but you can take out parts of LDK and put them in like, you know, the graph sinker or the pathfinder. Um, so yeah, I guess my biggest, my only worry is that um, uh, cross integration, there might be some troubles there. Like if there's not enough testing between it, compatibility between different implementations, um, that could become kind of annoying. Yeah, that's why there's a big debate about like the spec for. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Whereas I think, yeah, it sounds like some are much more, 
you know, really want it to be spec based and then others kind of like to develop quickly and move. And so we'll kind of see how it plays out, but yeah. And so what, obviously you've become pretty enamored with the lightning network specifically. What about it really lit this fire under your ass to leave cash app and start a company project of yourself? Like how would you describe DZ and Tao? Do they go together? Are they separate? Are they complementary? Yeah. So yeah, I guess so about two weeks ago I left cash app. Um, after, I mean, I loved my time there. I just, I've always wanted to kind of do my own thing. Um, and I felt like, felt like the right time had been two and a half years, but yeah, I kind of started, uh, first I started this little thing called DZ, which is, um, the name of my, my lightning node. Um, and yeah, the DZ, so the DZ platform, basically the D is the culmination of my experiences trying to run a good routing node and, um, learning what's hard about it. And, um, basically it's a platform for lightning liquidity and there's a couple things you can do. First of all, the DZ node is just one of the large, one of like, you know, the larger, you know, well-connected nodes on the network. Um, but it has certain things like you can, uh, earn directly from the DZ node which I can talk about in a little bit. Um, you can also do swaps. Like um, I implemented a little swap service that is similar to like a loop out or a bolts um, where you can send over lightning and receive on chain as a way to like get inbound liquidity. Um, but the way I implemented it is in a trusted way. And so you basically, instead of it being a trustless submarine swap, um, you just, my service gives you an invoice. In that invoice is actually a signed message from my node that says, I will agree to pay this amount to this address. And then, so you have at least that as like a reputational collateral. Um, but then the advantage of the trusted thing is the API is like very easy to use and it's less expensive. Um, and so that was something that I kind of desired as a node runner. So then I made it <laughs> for other people. So there's that, the swap service. And then um, I have my earning feature, which um, I guess I could explain how that works too now or then, because we also want to talk about the Tau stuff. But um, yeah, the earning feature is interesting. As you say, if you open a channel with me, you can earn because I will pay you a fat fee when we close the channel. I've never seen this set up before. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So the earning feature was basically when I started as a node and, you know, I had like even had one Bitcoin or even like two Bitcoin on the node. And it was still just so hard to generate any type of revenue from routing because as a small node, you're, you're, you're not like that likely to get selected in other people's pathfinding. So it's really hard, but your liquidity is valuable. And so basically what my node offers is a way for you as a small node, if you only have, I say only one Bitcoin is a lot, um, but one Bitcoin is kind of small for, to be a routing node, but you could take your one Bitcoin and you can put that all open one channel with me. And then if you're able to essentially push the liquidity through that channel, which means you're then 
actually like buying inbound liquidity for me because you have to push it through my channel. It also has to go out some of my other channels. So you're essentially like reloading my inbound liquidity. Um, that's super valuable to my node because then my node now having that inbound liquidity can then sell it um, off at a, at a, a decent price. Um, which I can command a higher price for because my node is more well connected, but I also will pay you very well. Like I think right now I'm paying people 1,111 parts per million. If you can push the stats through, tell me about it. I will pay you. And then I close the channel. Um, and, and then I can sell that right now, um, to like, you know, with a, another in a channel to loop or something for like you know, 1500 or something. So there can be a small margin that I take given my position as a node, but I give smaller nodes the opportunity to earn like outsized returns if they can do these like targeted liquidity operations. So it's sort of like a, a win-win where you can sort of just onboard as like spin up a node out of nowhere, put a small amount of coins on it, and then just have reliable earnings. Um, all the time by sort of integrating with my ecosystem. Um, and so it's kind of cool. We have like, you know, a discord and a telegram and, uh, there's like over a hundred people in the discord and, you know, there's several just basically arbitrageurs that are coming in and, uh, collaborating, sharing open source scripts on like how to automate these processes. And, um, yeah, it just helps you put your Bitcoin to work. Um, and, yeah, it helps you also, you can get a yield on your coins, but it's at the risk tolerance that you're comfortable with. So for example, if you want like a typical thing that people do is they will like have an account on an exchange, like, you know, a Bitfinex or something. And they'll, they'll open a channel with me. And then I don't care where they push the liquidity through because wherever it is, it's getting me inbound liquidity from my current network. A lot of them will like pick the exchange that they have an account on and they'll send through their channel with me to their account on the exchange. So the funds go from their node to their account on an exchange. They happen to move through my channel or sorry, they happen to move through my node. And because of that, I'll then pay them, you know, a, a 1100, parts per million for that liquidity. And so some people just, they do that cycle over and over again, and they're essentially arbitraging mispriced liquidity um, across the network. So this is fascinating. <laughs> yeah. So you've, again, you mentioned an API. I don't know if that's only for the swap side of things, but you mentioned the community and discord creating scripts. So hypothetically with our node at TFTC, I could send DJ this episode, be like, listen to this right away, figure out how to do this. And we can just begin opening channels and getting yield on our Bitcoin on our node. Yeah, you, you could. And it depends. It depends um, what, what risk level you're willing to take. Like if you're, if you're willing to, cause so basically it, it, if you are willing to put funds onto a custodian um, temporarily and that custodian, that exchange 
they have some type of mispriced liquidity somewhere, then you can take advantage of this arbitrage and do this thing as like an active strategy. Um, the other things you can do, if you don't want to use an, ex an exchange, you can like rebalance. Um, you can like, if you have other channels, you could rebalance out your DZ channel, come in through your other channels and then earn from that. But when you do that, that drains your other inbound liquidity. So you have to have like, if you're going to do that, you have to have some type of excess of inbound liquidity already that you're sort of selling off to me. Um, and, or anything else that people come up with. I mean, I don't, personally, I don't really, I, I'm, it's sort of just a little business for me. And so if anyone can push liquidity through, I pay them. <laughs> so if you can find a new arbitrage or something like that. Uh, it's good for me. And yeah, it's a little bit like, it's a little bit of a pain, I think, for these exchanges <laughs> because you have people coming in and just like, you know, taking their liquidity in a sense. Um, and so I encourage the exchanges to fix their fee policies so that they don't get arbed. Um, and there are known ways to set your fees properly so that you can't get arbed. But for now, like a lot of exchanges have their liquidity mispriced. And so these, these arbitrages are available. Interesting. So correct me if I'm wrong, this is a very unique way for an individual to create yield on their Bitcoin via the Lightning Network. Historically, when people talk about getting yield on their Bitcoin via operating a Lightning node, I mean, famously we have Nick Batia's uh, Lightning LLR, the, the rate of return on providing that liquidity. But it seems like you're allowing, enabling users to basically help you operate your node without doing too much on their end and monetize that way. We're historically thinking about monetizing via yeah. the Lightning Network has been like create a node and figure out your fees and get paid for routing where now people are getting paid to help you create an environment where routing is easier and more likely to happen through DZ. Yeah, exactly. So this this operations is value. This operations valuable because it it increases or like better's the liquidity profile of my node, which then my node gets used reliably for for normal users routing on the network. So you, as you like sort of work do my node and my node's like, hey, I'll pay you for this stuff. It's good for me. It's good. It's good for you. You get paid. Um, and I guess it might be interesting if we walk through because this seems like a little kind of like you know, complex or uh, kind of roundabout at first. But if we step back and walk through the journey of a node runner, it might make a little more sense. Should we, yeah, should we go on this? Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> okay, so you start off as a node runner. You don't really have, you don't run in a, in a business or exchange or anything. You don't have any natural payment flows. So you're going to basically, what are you going to do? You're going to take and say you have like, you know, I don't know, you got two Bitcoin. So you might pick, you know, 20 different nodes and open, you know, a point, point 0.1 Bitcoin channel to each of them. Or say you got one Bitcoin, you pick 10 nodes, do point 0.1 Bitcoin channel to each of them. So maybe you pick Kraken, Wallet of Satoshi, uh, NiceHash, OKCoin, you know, Strike, some, 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 you pick your top 10, BitRefill, um, and now you've got all these channels. But 
all your capacity is uh, outbound because you've taken your coins, you've put them in a channel, but nobody has taken any coins and like directed them, directed them towards you. So you have no like ability to receive. Um, so therefore you're not gonna route any payments until you go acquire some inbound liquidity somehow. Um, does that make sense so far? Yes. To me, at least, I don't know about the freaks listening, but so yeah, you can think of inbound liquidity um, as coins pointed towards you. Somebody else like points towards coins towards you, uh, which is the thing that's harder to come by because you need to convince somebody else that you're worthwhile to point cord point coins to, like open a channel to you. Um, so instead, but it's super easy to get outbound liquidity. Outbound meaning coins that you can send. Because you can just open a channel with any public node that accepts channels. Um, so basically, as you start, you realize, wait, okay, it's really hard to get inbound liquidity. So then you can go on like Plebnet, Telegram. You can like say, hey, I'm trying to get started on. Who wants to, you know, open a balanced channel? And you guys can sort of coordinate. You know, you can use this thing, Lightning Network Plus, which helps you coordinate these like balanced channel opens where you both commit funds to a channel or you do like these triangle structures where you do a three people agree and you one a opens a channel to B B opens a channel to C and C opens a channel to a, and then you do a rebalance. Um, so that was how I sort of started is I would just go on these, these telegram and be like, Hey, who wants to do a triangle? Who wants to do a balance channel, this, that, and you sort of like tit for tat, you know, give some, get some, um, that's one way to sort of like grind it out and get some inbound liquidity. But, you know, really the one, the people you want inbound liquidity from is the big exchanges. Like you want inbound liquidity from Cash App or River or Kraken or Wallet of Satoshi, because that's where the volume is like coming from. So you want to be able to get inbound liquidity from them. So then it's like, okay, how do you get that? And what you start realizing is that to get inbound liquidity, you have to pay for it somehow. You either have to pay for it or you have to, or you have to be like a natural source that people are wanting to pay. Like for you, Marty, like if you're streaming in sats and TFTC is going crazy and you're, you know, everyone's trying to pay Marty, then people are going to, node runners are going to notice that and they are then going to position themselves they're going to give you that inbound for free because they can charge a fee um, when the payments come through. So that's you can attract the inbound liquidity if you have a valuable um, destination that's being paid. But if you're just a normal like node runner, you don't have a service. There's no reason people are paying you. You have to go buy your inbound liquidity. Um, and the way you buy it is the easiest way is... Um, you can like, you know, oh, you have a wallet of Satoshi account on your on your phone and you opened a channel with wallet of Satoshi from your node and then you send, you know, over lightning to your wallet of Satoshi account, which then pushes the sats uh, across your channel, across your wallet of Satoshi channel. And then now you have some sats in your wallet of Satoshi app and then you withdraw on chain back to your, your node. And now you can go open a channel somewhere else. So then you've like, but so the fees then you paid are the, the withdrawal fees from what the wallet of Satoshi account. And additionally, the risk that you took is the w risk of using 
this wallet of Satoshi app, who, which is like an app that not a lot of people know who runs it or, um, you know, what they're, are they going to shotgun KYC you or something like that? Um, another way to buy inbound liquidity is loop, uh, lightning labs did the, they, they've obviously saw this problem super early on. So they have their service loop. Um, and loop allows you to do a trustless submarine swap. So this is like the, the cleanest way to do it. It takes a little bit longer, but basically what you do is that same thing. You push sats towards them and they send you on chain. How, however, that's going to cost you a fee. So that's going to cost you like a thousand PPM for the swap. But then additionally, the routing fees to get to loop are usually another 1500 or 2000 PPM. Um, and so what you realize is, oh, sorry, go ahead. Can we, I've never heard PPM before. Can you just briefly, yeah. I you said parts per million, but I've never heard that. Yeah, parts per million, it's become a common like uh, uh, unit, I guess. So it's just, you know, it's a, it's a fee rate for lightning. And so if you route a million sats, and you're charging a thousand parts per million. That means you're gonna pay. A, you're gonna get a thousand sat fee on the million sat payment. Okay. All right. Um, I mean, it's so, self-explanatory, but I just need to make sure. Yeah. And so, yeah. Basically, when you when you start to realize, okay, so now we're back as our node runner. We started out, and we've realized, okay, shoot, to have any value as a node runner, unless you already have like a a reason for people to connect to you, you need to kind of go buy inbound liquidity. And so what you start to realize is that inbound liquidity has a price and it's a market in the sense that your goal is to go acquire inbound liquidity for some price and then hopefully sell it by routing. Because when you route, you're also like selling off that inbound liquidity. You want to like sell it for more than you paid. And then you're in profit. Um, and so it's really hard to do if you're just kind of a small node. Um, because so basically what then you start to realize is like, and then if you're going to, it's really hard because to buy this inbound liquidity, at least when I was, when I started, it's going to cost you like 3000 PPM, but then nobody's going to route through you for 3000 PPM. So you're like, how am I ever going to make a profit doing this? It's, it's, it's cause like a routing typical routing fee is like 500 PPM or 200 PPM. Um, and so it's very hard to find like a profitable thing. And so then what you sort of realize is the next thing you can do is you can do this arb arbitrage with the custodial exchanges and loop. And so this is an arbitrage that a lot of people are doing right now. Um, and maybe after this episode, a lot more people are going to try it, but, uh, also guys like understand the risks of using a custodial account, um, like something like a wallet of Satoshi, where you might not know, like, it's not a KYC thing. They might shotgun KYC you at any time. They could rug your account. Um, but you can also do this with, you know, like a Kraken or someone where, you know, you, you might have them, it's like regulated in your country. Um, but anyway, the like basic custodial arbitrage is you open a channel with say, you know, we'll say, we'll say Kraken for this one. Sorry, Kraken. <laughs> you open a, a, a channel with Kraken. 
So you take your whole Bitcoin. Now, instead of splitting it up, you do your whole Bitcoin, open a channel with Kraken. You deposit one Bitcoin over Lightning to your Kraken account. So now you have one Bitcoin in your Kraken account and one Bitcoin of inbound capacity from your Kraken uh, channel. You withdraw that on-chain and then you go open a channel to loop. <laughs> and loop is what we call a sync. So loop, um, a sync means that funds are always, lightning funds are always flowing into loop on net. Um, because what everyone's doing with loop is they're sending over lightning and they're sending over lightning and then they're receiving on chain. So all the lightning flows are into loop. It's like a black hole of lightning liquidity. And so basically what you do, if you've, you've pushed sats to your, across to your Kraken uh, channel, and then you open a channel with a loop. And now eventually what's going to happen is you sit around, you wait, and you whatever fees it costs you to do that Kraken thing, you know, it, it might cost you, you know, 200 PPM or something net to do your little custodial loop out. Then you can go open your channel with loop and you can charge you know, 500 PPM or 600 PPM. And you just wait and you wait for somebody to route through Kraken through your loop channel. And there you made a nice little profit. Um, now the funds are always going to flow. They're pretty much always going to flow from Kraken to loop. And so eventually your, your whole thing is going to get depleted. Then loop is going to close your channel because loop needs to like harvest those coins to service their swap service but then you can just kind of do the whole thing again. Um, so this is the custodial arb arbitrage that uh, people are doing on like NiceHash and Kraken and Wallet of Satoshi and um, Bitfinex, basically any exchange that has a, uh, I think in Strike as well, any exchange that allows you to deposit over Lightning and withdraw on-chain is like, you know, a target for these arbitrages. Um, now, the only reason this is an arbitrage is because of the fees that these exchanges are setting. For like, there are ways where they could either implement a deposit fee or make the withdrawal fee like a pers basically charge you enough to make it unprofitable. Um, I think they're hesitant to do that because it's a bigger change that'll affect more of their users. Um, so the other thing they'll do is they'll rate limit you. So they'll be like, okay, you can only do half a Bitcoin a day on your account. Um, so that's that's the basics of like the custodial ARB that people are doing. But it's kind of hard because, um, the, okay, so the hard, so you can go ahead and try that. What you'll notice is it's not super reliable because you have to, once you like have that channel with loop, you have to like that broadcast out to the network and then somebody else who's doing a loop out their algorithm needs to somehow pick your like crappy little node as the target for their route, which is like kind of unlikely because you're not, you're just kind of a little node with one channel and uh, you're new. Um, so instead what, what my thing offers is like, instead of you having to like, if you want to do this thing where you're like buying liquidity from an exchange, through this arbitrage strategy, or you have some other way of provisioning inbound liquidity, maybe you as a service, like just send a lot and you just have a lot of inbound liquidity. Um, 
like I think that would be the most natural users. Like if, if you haven't a service that is always sending out and creating inbound liquidity for yourself and you want a way to monetize that, then um, you can open a channel with me, the DZ node. And instead of you having to wait for your for the loop channel to drain to buy your liquidity, you can just push it to me and I'll pay you for it. So then you can sort of get paid at your own cadence and you can sell off your inbound liquidity at your own cadence. And for a, a fee rate that I publish and is available all the time, so you can see what you're gonna get, what you're gonna earn from it. Um, so I think a lot of people like that because it allows them to like have a reliable earnings strategy. Um, and yeah, they don't have to like wait around for, to hope they route some payments. So the answer to the question, where does the yield come to come from in this case is the ARB opportunity that exists via the exchanges in loop specifically. That's where like most of it, well, that's okay. That's so this is like the, if you want, like this is like where the high yield comes from. Um, now this is a risky strategy. How much, involves- how much money are people making today? <laughs> I mean, if you do like a one Bitcoin targeted arbitrage strategy, you're, you're making double digit APY. Oh shit. Yeah, definitely on definitely. Um, now the caveat there is the risk you're taking for doing like putting money with a custodian. And the other caveat is that the return APY like doesn't scale with the amount of coins. Like you couldn't do this with a hundred Bitcoin. Um, and you couldn't do this with a hundred Bitcoin because you would then like drain all the liquidity and there wouldn't be enough natural routing volume to handle that. Um, and also, so the question of where does the yield come from? I, I want to answer that better because there's a, there's a, there's a better way to answer that. Ultimately, all routing profits, they come from users of the Lightning Network paying fees. So that's like the max amount of um, profit that the whole network is having is, you know, someone with their Albi account paying someone on Stacker News or whatever. Um, and so I think the, I saw a statistic that was something like, I think it was something like 40 million, whatever the numbers was of like the estimated routing fees paid, it translated to like a one to 2% APY based on the um, total capacity of the network. And so what you're seeing with other nodes that aren't doing like a, an active arbitrage strategy and just are bigger nodes that are routing payments, it seems like they're getting closer to like a 1% to 2% APY, which is literally just, these are nodes that have balanced flows. So you just happen to, you know, kind of position yourself over time. Maybe there's a little upfront cost of like establishing these channels, buying some liquidity. But the way that most nodes kind of run is they'll have, you know, 50 channels and they actually just have balanced flows. They'll just see flows coming like into Kraken, out to Kraken, out from Wallace Satoshi, into here, over there, other people rebalancing. And you'll just get the natural um, users of the Lightning Network, Lightning Network, the circular economy, just some of that passes through your node and you can get like kind of a one, maybe, maybe up to 2% APY. And that's with no active like crazy ARB stuff. The crazy ARB stuff where you're getting like the higher yield, 
what you're mostly doing is you're kind of like siphoning money from the custodial exchanges <laughs> because a lot of them, they like treat it as a loss that, cause what the exchanges will do is they will get, they have people trying to arb them. So they'll get a lot of deposit volume, um, over lightning, but then their inbound liquidity gets depleted. And then they probably get some customer support issue complaints that are like, Hey, I can't pay over lightning what's going on. And they don't want to have to deal with that. So what they all do is most of them have like automated loop outs where they'll just pay the loop out price, you know, every night to like replenish their inbound. So then they're, they're sort of taking a loss in terms of their fee revenues. And that can be taken advantage of by arbitrageurs who <laughs> basically kind of exploit them right now. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's kind of a, a cutthroat, cutthroat thing, but um, also the fix is like pretty easy. You just have to set your fees right, your liquidity, uh, your fees properly. Um, but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so do you think this is an ARB that will be relatively short-lived? So I think that this particular ARB is going to be short-lived for each particular exchange, but I think there will be a lot of new exchanges that come along and the ARB will be available there for a time. And then I think other ARBs will emerge. And I think just we're going to forever be in an arbitrage game um, on Lightning. And the, the game's going to evolve. Just like back in 2017, you know, there was huge arbitrages available for international, um, you know, the Korean uh, price of Bitcoin was like a thousand bucks higher or a few hundred bucks higher than the U.S. price. And you could just, I think that's how, I think that's how SBF made his, his yeah, they called it, and they called it the kimchi trade or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Um, so, I, but that's like not available anymore. And so I think that's how this is going to play out with this is that there's these arbitrages available right now. Eventually they won't be, but other ARBs will come about and it's going to get more competitive um, and it's going to be a competition. Fascinating. God, I'm, I, I always think I'm up to date on what's going on. This is completely <laughs> new to me. Uh, but with all that being said, like what you just described, all this loop in, loop out, channel balancing, small nodes versus large nodes versus exchanges versus routing, setting routing fees to the layman out there who may be listening in and thinking about Bitcoin scaling and using the Lightning Network to do that, all this long-winded, not long-winded is the wrong way to describe it, all this complex interactions that exist on the Lightning Network. Many may point to that and say, hey, this doesn't seem very scalable. It doesn't seem like a good way. It seems very complicated. What would you say to people giving that feedback on, on how the Lightning Network currently works with all this channel balancing and fee arb and small nodes versus large nodes? Like, how do you see this, this playing out? My view is generally that arbitrage is um, a positive thing because it makes the markets more efficient and it, it, it can put pressure on like what people are pricing things, but ultimately it makes the markets more efficient. And I guess what I would say is um, this is like, you know, the under the hood deep dive, like 
what's going on behind the scenes. But if you actually just pull out, you know, your cash app app or your, you know, moon wallet and you go pay over lightning, it works pretty well right now. Um, and part of that is because, you know, the, your app, you know, is able to, so a very hard part, a challenging part of lightning is this pathfinding. And so what's, what this arbitrage kind of enables is like these arbitragers, they come in and they kind of, they kind of like, well, move, they move the liquidity around, but anyway, um, it's hard to say, I guess I don't know where I'm going with this other than like when it all comes together and you open your app and your app needs to find a route to the destination, it's going to go through the, the larger nodes because those are the most likely to succeed. And generally right now that's succeeding pretty well. And I think part of that is due to the markets becoming more, the liquidity markets becoming more efficient mm -hmm. and the arbitrageurs have uh, facilitated that liquidity. They have a role to play in that as well. Yeah. There is, I mean, there is also the, there, there is the school of thought or the, you know, the argument that the arbitrageurs are siphoning liquidity from exchanges and they should be, it should be frowned upon. Um, but I think it's kind of a hardening for the network is that, you know, as, if these price discrepancies exist, people are going to exploit them. We might as well do it now and get people, um, get exchanges to harden their liquidity operations and their pricing so that they're more durable for the future. Yeah, I would agree with that. But again, maybe I can rephrase my question another way. Does the perceived barrier to entry to operating a lightning node due to the complicated nature of everything you just described uh, perturb the potential of lightning to be sufficiently distributed? Ah, this is a good question. So one of the things that I'm trying to do is to help hobbyists run their first ever node and start earning. Um, and so I, I think that my, my goal and what I've been working on with this DZ platform is to make that easier so that the liquidity is distributed um, and that anybody can come on and put their coins on their node and possibly they can choose how much risk they want to take in terms of using a custodian arbitrage strategy as well or not, or literally just self custody the whole time and um, earn a yield that is proportional to your coins value, which is hard to do right now, but we're getting there in terms of making it easier. And that's one of my focuses is to make it, uh, I wrote, I wrote a guide that was like how to get started on voltage and how to start earning. Um, I'm also working on this co-pilot type of thing where you can basically use something like voltage to spin up a node in the cloud with a few clicks and then hopefully be able to just plug in, uh, the DZ co-pilot, which then will what I, what my goal for it is to have it just manage your node for you without having access to the keys. Um, and the way this would, this is work as I have some demo code out, but it's basically the copilot. uh, it listens to recommendations from the DZ central, uh, sort of intelligence 
but then it can only take certain actions like open channel, closed channel, or rebalance, but it can't like send funds off. Can't pay an invoice. Uh, right. Cannot pay an invoice, only an invoice to itself mm-hmm. um, at like a max fee rate. And so I'm, I'm trying to think of ways to do that because ideally anybody would be able to spin up a node, start earning, basically getting yield on their coins in their own self-custody. Um, I think that would be a really cool future to have. And right now we're, we're getting there. Like Volt, I think Voltage has been huge in making it easy to have a cloud node. Umbral has made it huge if you wanted to like host your own hardware. Um, but we're still at the point where you have to have like some pretty technical knowledge of like opening channels and managing your fees. And I'm hoping just to make that easier for people. So that's something that I do, I'm, I'm planning on focusing on. So would you describe Copilot as an iteration on autopilot just done better? Um, yeah, yeah, I, I would say, and I think one of the things, the trade-offs that the, the Copilot thing might do is that it, it may, at least the way I have it now is it will have like read access to your node. So whereas the LND autopilot, there's no data that gets sent back to lightning labs. Like you can have full privacy and kind of trust their logic. I think the product that I would offer is you give up your privacy to my service, but that helps my service like uh, have better predictions on what fees to set, stuff like that. Um, and so I think that's sort of the realm that I've been going for is kind of operating in this area where there is some trust involved, And but you have to make the, if you decide if you wanna make that trade off. Like for my swap service, it requires trust, but it's a little bit easier. And you know, this custodial ARB strategy requires trust, it's a little easier. And so I think that's sort of the role that my kind of services are coming in is like a little bit of trust, a little bit easier. And if you wanna make that, um, if you wanna make that decision, that's, on you, that's up to you. And if you don't, that's encouraged as well, um, but yeah. Yeah, how does something, I forget what it's called. But the the project where they're separating the private key from the node. Um, yeah. So there's a couple. Okay. So there's like remote signer, yes. which is, um, yeah. So I think, yeah, LND has this remote signer thing, which people use, which it puts, the way I understand it I'm, is um, a lot of the, you know, peering logic happens on one instance of an LND node. And then, but the private key is stored on a private um, node over here and all the signing happens on that private node. So you don't have the private key on a device that's like pretty close to the cloud. To you can keep like the, the pure logic in the cloud and your keys at your house. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think you can do that as well. Um, now my thoughts on remote signing and then addition to, so the remote signing, some people like that. The, I think the criticism to the remote signing is that I think it's like blind. It's a blind signer in the sense that it doesn't validate what it's signing necessarily. I could be wrong. Please call me out if I'm wrong. Um, but I think currently it doesn't do like validation because to validate what it's signing, it needs to like have some knowledge of, you know, what channels, what channels this, what like channel update is, is happening. Um, so there is, there also is a project uh, validating lightning signer, which I yes, think was this a- is what I was thinking about. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that, I think this was a spiral grant as well. We're validating Lightning Signer. This, I think, has more of a, 
more of a promise because it puts the, the thing with these signers is you want them to have some type of policy. So they're not just blindly signing stuff, but they're verifying before they sign like, okay, you know, I've sent, I've sent, this is like the, you know, I've sent another Bitcoin to this address. Like maybe I should slow down and stop sending to this address or, you know, I'm not gonna, uh, it allows you to encode like, you know, rate limits or, you know, ensure that somewhere you're sending is like, uh, it's hard. It's really hard to do policies though, is the other thing. And this is one of the things I sort of learned at, at BitGo when I was at BitGo before Cash App where, you know, there's, uh, they have HSMs um, and there was a big thing about how to get the policy on the HSMs. And um, yeah, it's, it's just very hard to do policies around signing because you need all this knowledge of what's going on outside. And like, you can have, you know, if you're a business and you put in some rate limits as a policy, and then you have a really big day and your business, your, your policy might, your signer might shut down your volume on your best day because you had a, you know, more volume than you expected. And now all of a sudden you hurt your business because your policy was like not correct, or it was like, not, you know, you know your rate limits were too low. It was too, so, yeah, it was too conservative. Yeah. So policies are hard, but you do want to, the validating lightning signer, I think is the way to go where you have some type of policy on the signing device. Um, so yeah. What, what was our, what was our, uh, we had some reason for talking about this, but what was it? I'm trying to figure out. Allowing smaller node operators to participate in the distributed layer of the lightning network to yeah. start it with a barrier yeah. to entry question. Yeah. So I guess also my, my thinking with like separating the signer is like, it's kind of good, but also like there's other sensitive information. Um, when you're running a lightning node, like, you know, there's other ways you can lose all your money other than leaking your private key. Like you can leak an old, uh, state channel state. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, attacker, if attacker has access to an old channel state and they broadcast that, the peer can come in and sweep justice. All the, yeah, yeah. Justice transaction. So there's a lot more than just the private key that you need to protect. Um, and so that would yeah. be a dickhead attack. Like, Hey, I'm going to find you. Well, it could be the person on the other side of the channel. It would have to be the, yeah, the person on the other side of the channel. Otherwise you're just like the Joker chaos. You yes, know? exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but yeah, also like, I don't know. Another thing is this, the protecting these hot wallets is super important. These lightning nodes is especially important for the big honeypots, you know, the river financial with 400 Bitcoin on their nodes or like, um, you know, the big, big nodes, this becomes a huge deal. But if it's, if you're like, um, if we have a bunch of smaller nodes and there's not, as many honeypots and then you don't want to, it doesn't mean you can be more relaxed about your security, but uh, you are less of a target if you're not a big node. And so I kind of like this, I like this concept of having a lot of smaller nodes and having like ways that you can plug into the liquidity networks of other nodes without having to give up custody to them. Um, which is kind of what I'm trying to do with the DZ service. Yeah. It's fascinating. It's like, it's, you're on the cutting edge. So as an engineer who's been working on Bitcoin 
and projects that weren't Bitcoin before. Like, what does this landscape on top of the Lightning Network mean to you? Like, it seems like you're excited. It seems like you're driven. You're hopeful for the future of the Lightning Network as as an engineer. Like, is this stuff fun oh, yeah. to work with? Yeah, it's super fun. I feel like something happened, uh, like, I don't know, about a year ago, where I just felt like the momentum was really picking up with Lightning. And it just, I don't know, maybe it was just because I started working on it at Cash App, but uh, um, not, not to say that that's why. I'll just say, like, because my personal, like, you know, time was spent now really diving in full time to Lightning. It's just felt like it's really growing. And the thing that's so cool about it is it's so international. Like, you know, our little network of node runners, there's just people from all over. There's, you know, Switzerland and uh, some some guy from, you know, guy from South America, guy, guy from, uh, guy who's running a merchant business for someone in El Salvador. Um, like he's running the node for a business in El Salvador. And uh, yeah, it's just someone from Sri Lanka and it's just like someone from the Philippines. And it's just like all of these people from all over the world are connecting with this one monetary network that anybody can be a part of. And you just get a sense of how international it is, which I think is so cool. So. Yeah. No, it's awesome. It feels like yeah. it's happening. What, um, what, what do you worry about? Like, cause it seems like pure, like you said, it's international. Do you worry about regulators stepping in and fucking ruining this party at any point in time? I don't worry about that too much because like, I feel like, like, I feel like regulators could make it really annoying to be in the U S which would suck, but I don't think the rest of the world's going to care that much. Like, cause they're out of the U S jurisdiction or I think, which is the beautiful thing. Um, so I'm not like too worried about the regulation um i guess yeah i'm kind of worried what am i worried about there are still some like just known kind of attack vectors on lightning like you know channel jamming um where you can sort of like lock up people's channel capacity by doing probes and then you know make them have to force close and um or just I mean, I'm personally worried about getting <laughs> being the target of cyber attacks. Like, as soon as I, my node started growing, like, the people are coming after me. I know it. <laughs> like, I'm, I get emails of like, oh, you know, uh, thanks for registering with Password Checker. Like, somebody's like trying to get access to my email by seeing if my password's been leaked anywhere. And so, like, I can see you guys. I can see you. But... <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> so I worry about, uh, but that's an incentive to not try to be a big target yourself, like not try to centralize the network because you don't want to be a target. So um, it makes me want to figure out ways to work in a more decentralized way. Um, but yeah, what else? I guess the other thing that I worry about is I worry about capital coming on. This isn't a huge worry, but I think what could happen is more capital gets excited about lightning than the natural. Usage. Yes, exactly. And tries to really extract too much. Uh, but even then, like the worst thing that's going to happen is 
somebody comes in with a lot of Bitcoin, they buy a bunch of inbound capacity, but and then they're not able to be profitable selling it, which is fine. Like it's not not a huge deal. I do worry though about. <laughs> it's funny because you know, like this whole like crypto yield farming thing that yes. was like. The- 2019, 2020. Sushi, yams, all that stuff. Yeah. I hate to say it, but I worry that that's coming. That's, that's sort of what people are might. I worry that I'm the one enabling this now on lightning, (laughs) (laughs) the yield farming on lightning. Um, But it has limits, right? As you described. Right. It's not like you're getting loans. The risk you're taking with most of this is custodial exchange risk, which is... We're just simply losing money on fees that that you wind up paying. Yeah, so you can lose money on on fees, but even then it's like pretty capped. It's not like you're like leveraging up your coins, which is I think what all this yield farming stuff was. Yes. Um, Yeah, so to me it feels like Lightning will probably go through these actual like speculative, you know, cycles of how much can you earn? Um, And it's going to go like this, but it's not going to be like 30%, negative 50. It's going to be like, you know, 1%, 2%, 5%, 6%, like 0%, 1%. Like it's going to kind of be like somewhat metered. It feels like, Um, but yeah. That's, I love it. I'm getting all jazzed up right now. And it's actually, seems... go ahead. I was going to say, you know, what's kind of great is that. So one thing that you might worry about is that, you know, you just get some big company to come in with a thousand Bitcoin and just become like a massive hub on the network. And then it kind of hurts the centralization or it makes everything centralized. But the fu- the funny thing is, is all these like highly regulated U.S. companies, they are seeing like because they're seeing compliance roadblocks to becoming that big node that they want to be um because a lot of these compliant us conservative compliance teams and cash app is one of them but i also i've also heard from other big companies that you would the other big you know broker crypto brokerages um they have the same concerns of like they don't want to connect to they want to have like all their peers be vetted so they're like, they don't have the access to all the international nodes because that's not like part of their policy. And so that's kind of like a, it's almost like the opposite of a um, regulatory moat. It's like a regulatory chain mm-hmm. <laughs> of big companies. And so it gives an opportunity for the smaller, you know, more risk seeking in terms of uh, like legal risk, risk seeking, I guess, a chance to become a bigger part of the network, which is cool. Yeah. And to prove like, Hey, this works better if you cooperate with your international counterparts and individual. It's crazy that like any individual can, like you're just some dude who worked at Cash App and Bitco. It's like, yeah, I'm gonna start DZ, and you're interacting with people from Switzerland, Sri Lanka, Venezuela, El Salvador. Yeah, it's it's nuts. Like, and you yeah, mentioned, I, and you mentioned too, like the. Like, I think my thesis has always been, and correct me if I'm wrong, like, we run a note here at TFTC. Like, eventually, if we go to a Bitcoin standard, I think that there is going to be, like, a dedicated job title of Lightning Network Node Manager within, like, each company. And 
that alone, that trend, which I think will develop, you know, you have two paths that either develops or you have companies depending on large LSPs. Um, but I can see just from the ability to profit that you've been describing, that would be worthwhile to pay somebody to manage a company's node, which would support a further distribution of the Lightning Network. I think so. I, I think it would be, I think it actually be like sort of the latter where you might have, like I, the way I could see it is you guys have your BTC pay server and then you install some plugin that's like node manager and you're just good to go. And they might take a little fee, but they're also going to be earning you more than you would have earned otherwise on routing fees. Um, and which, yeah, I think is great because it decentralizes the custody, like the decentralizes the capacity across different nodes, reduces honeypots. What I do maybe worry about is that the data on the network could become more centralized. So I was thinking about that for myself. You know, if if I get go f- go further along with this DZ Copilot thing, and people are willing to give up the data of their node in exchange for like route, routing and autopilot recommendations, um, that could be a great business to be like a central hub of intelligence on the network. Um, because that's another big thing on the network is that data is very useful and it's very private. And so a company like River, who has massive nodes and has routed a ton of payments, they have like a huge advantage in the data that they have. Um, Because to get that data, you have to have a big node that's routing payments. And so I also, my node has an advantage as well from having routed a lot of payments and other people too. Um, And so, I guess what I kind of what I do worry about thinking about you know trying to make some service that has a centralized, uh, you know, channel fee recommend channel recommender autopilot thing. If all the data becomes centralized in that one hub, can that then be a target for state like you know coercion of turnover your you know your data and let's so we can triangulate where this payment you know was routed to or from? Yeah, is there any privacy enhancing? route improvements on the horizon that I could prevent this? I, th- I think so. Like, uh, but even, okay. So there's like, so the current state of like privacy is that the, um, as the receiver of a payment, you are giving up your identity. Here's how you uh, find me. Here's where yeah. I am. Cause you have to say, here's, here's where I am. Here's how to find me. Now, what you can do is you can be tricky and you can make like a, you can pretend you're like somebody further back and then who your actual node is can be, you can say, Oh, go through that guy to me. But that guy who you have to go through, that's like who you actually are. So you can sort of hide yourself a little bit as a receiver, but it's kind of hard to do right now. Um, but the good thing is a sender can pay without revealing who they are. Um, so, well, you, Marty, as a receiver of funds, you, you're not going to be able to identify who sent you the funds. Um, now, 
Okay, so the I think what's on the horizon, I believe, is like this trampoline routing, mm-hmm. which I, I'm, I think my understanding is that that makes it so the oh right. So then Marty, for you, you are though doxing what your note is when you give an invoice for a, a, a payment, you're doxing what what your note is. I think with this trampoline routing, that's where you as the receiver can protect your identity because. I think the way it works is that you can say, oh, just make it to, you know, that, that DZ node out there and they know how to find me <laughs> or like, so, so I think that's a, that's on the horizon for uh, receiver privacy. Now that said, I don't think this problem I was talking about was if the, if the data, if the routing information becomes, you know, given off to some central service that gets to peek in at a lot of nodes. Like, I don't think that helps with, I don't think the trampoline would help with that because they can still see where the actual forwards are going. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think maybe, yeah, yeah, I don't know. There's also like, uh, I know there's like point time lock contracts, Mm -hmm. the PTLC, which I don't understand it too well, but I think it has like a, Right now, like a single payment, I think uses like the same payment hash or maybe across all the different parts. Whereas the PTLCs can use different payment hashes. So it like decorrelates them. Yeah, you could just pick um, a part of that elliptic, elliptic curve or something like that. And if it's something like that, yeah. yeah. L- Lalu explained it to me at one point and I, my eyes kind of glazed over. I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah but, pri- uh, privacy yeah. certainly needs to get better. And it's good. I mean, as somebody building out service like DZ, it's good that you're thinking about this early on. Well, yeah, you know, I'm stuck with the, uh, I have the, you know, incentives to try to make a business that's profitable. And then, so I, I have to check myself to not get dragged into, you know, doing what I think is going to be most profitable versus what doing what I think is going to be good for the network. And so I hope that people will always keep me in check or call me out if I'm not acting properly. So why do you do this? Why Bitcoin? Stepping away from, from Lightning. Why Bitcoin? Yeah, I just, I mean, basically ever since I found out how the Federal Reserve worked, I was just like, this is a major scam. And this is really bad. Like, we can't have this anymore. We need to have a sound money system. And we can't have, first of all, I think the governments are way too big, way too powerful. Um, terrible at their jobs corrupt like you know a lot of probably pedophiles up there i'm just gonna say it you know <laughs> i don't know what they held what the whole epstein thing was but i think something's going on with there's smoke that. there there's smoke in that epstein story there. somewhere president president's got a little little sniffing problem but anyway no yeah i think that it's, it's scary to me to see how powerful governments are and how bad they are at their job and how corrupt they can be. And I think our best chance to take back ownership of our world is, is through having a money system that is decentralized. And because ultimately, like, what do we all want? We all just want to cooperate and thrive. And I think that money is the technology of cooperation and we have not had cooperation between countries 
or um, between countries, within countries even. But yeah, I think Bitcoin allows countries to cooperate with each other, which might be a huge thing. Like I'd just love to see a world where, you know, you can go travel somewhere and nobody asks for your passport. You just go because it's a free world. That's another big sigh out. Passports were created like less than 100 years ago. And everybody's like, no, you need a passport. You need one. We need to know that you're you a are. Yeah. Like, no. How about you just charge them a little payment? <laughs> the, yeah. Uh, we're going to win. We're going to win. I think we're going to I do too. I mean, the world is it's run by... The world is run by a bunch of innoble men right now. Men who are not noble. It's cor- yeah. Yeah, corrupt. Many pedophiles. Many people doing backroom deals. Just fucking, just, just smashing us, smashing us, smashing us. It's time to, it's it's time like- to flip the table and just say, all right, we're, we're going to go create this Bitcoin yeah. system and walk away from you crazy pedophiles. Yeah, it's a monster. It's a monster of i don't think anyone knows how the current thing works and it's just an abomination i mean it was built you know you know i I don't know if there's any one person to blame you know people built what they thought they they wanted to build or had to build you know i think part of it was that gold was gold did not adapt to the gold got cucked yeah well it didn't it couldn't hang with the uh telecommunications revolution right as soon as yeah and so that's how fiat got its way in and we're seeing the we're seeing the uh results of that but you're looking around where you are right now like you're seeing it yeah could you hear that fly that was behind me or no no i couldn't hear okay never mind it's um it's not a fly that's a that's a government drone that's not happening what you're saying right now yeah, exactly. Birds, birds aren't real. <laughs> birds are not real. Neither are the flies. Funny you say that. I got a fly right here right now. But yeah, it's it's time to break free from these tyrants. That's what they are at the end of the day, tyrants. I just want to hang out with my sons, my wife, my family, talk to cool people like you. The government is making it harder and harder. I think they will dissolve. I, I hope they will just sort of quiet. I don't know if it will work that way. I think it's a question of how ugly it's going to get. But I think we are going to win inevitably. But the question is how ugly will it be? Or easy. How easy or hard it will be. Where do you? What do you trend toward? Ugliness or shockingly peaceful? I, you know, I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic that the United States is going to do the right thing eventually. Um, I think we have enough. I think we do have a lot of people that care about freedom, care about the American dream still. Um, and we have enough powerful people who are into Bitcoin. And I think we're starting to see, I mean, it was pretty cool, honestly, to see how, when was it the, was it the COVID bill or something that was totally frozen for weeks because of the two sentences about, you know, Bitcoin mining in there that just people, you know, threw were up in arms about and all the Congress people had to stop and realize how many people cared about this stuff and had to try to change some things. So that makes me kind of happy. 
Me as well. Yeah. I go back and like I have two there. I can see getting very ugly. Like the government throwing Bitcoiners in jail, showing up to where my miners are and unplugging them, shooting them. Um, but I could also see, like you said, all these governments are so massive. They're getting so big and so bloated, more importantly. I can just see them completely collapsing in and on themselves and just not being able to handle the weight of the social unrest and the collapsing confidence that's happening as they fuck up the money, the energy, the food, social programs. They're messing up the bonds now. I think there's yeah. I think that's something that a lot of Bitcoiners discount actually is this potential that you just have a even though everybody followed the COVID lockdowns restrictions like a bunch of sheep, uh, I do think there is a diminishing marginal return on that type of control in the quick secession that they're trying to do it. And if you have all these cornerstones of society falling at once, there's going to be a collapse in confidence that leads people to be like, all right, where are the other options? We cannot turn to these old decrepit pedophiles anymore to fix the problems they created. I think so. Yeah. I mean, we're right in the thick of it, right? With, uh, didn't we see with the, the guilt, when the guilt market started having problems, that Bitcoin volume was super high, kind of record purchases yeah. out uh, on the UK. Yeah, that was particularly fascinating because volumes were something like four or five X what they were this time last year when Bitcoin was going towards six to nine K. Um, and Bitcoin has been hovering in this 18 to 20K range for feels like four months now. And so you have that, that increased, that increased volume without any, and people weren't chasing price. They were seeking Bitcoin as a safe haven. There's one of the theories that you know, nobody knows for sure exactly what was going on, but it wouldn't be hard to believe that that, that was the case. Yeah, and watching uh, watching Japan closely as well with the yen, because mm -hmm. I feel like they were the first. They kind of pioneered the central bank craziness, so I feel like oh, it yeah. makes if they were kind of the first place for things to go wrong. But, yeah, it wouldn't uh, surprise me at all. Yeah, uh, QE yeah. started in Japan in the '90s, freaks. Look it up. We haven't even gotten to Tao Wallet yet. I know. Yeah, that's true. This seems like, I mean, number one, it seems very cool. Very good design. Good aesthetics. I want to give you props for that off the bat. Well, uh, I got to give props to the designer who I've uh, just an acquaintance with, but she, she's fantastic. So. She crushed it. Yes. Uh, but it seems to me, like I, I reached out to you. I mean, I even hopped in the thread when you announced all the ideas that you wanted to go after for... <laughs> this project and it seems like one of the most I think you're thinking about I think you've really burst open like how to approach building a lightning network wallet or a platform I don't even know how you would describe it but and like what you can plug and play into that platform or wallet so I'll let you take it from here what is Tau how would you describe it and how ambitious are you looking to get with it yeah, so Tau, 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 Tau. <laughs> Tau is kind of still an idea. There is code. There's actually a lot of code. Um, basically, so 
The idea behind Tao is to have just like a really elegant, super easy to use Bitcoin wallet that also can be a USD wallet. So you can get your, your USD if you're into that. Um, and, but also the goal is to have it also be highly configurable on the back end so that um, you can choose, you know, anything from self-custody to um, like self-custody own channels, lightning enabled to fully delegate your custody to somewhere else and maybe even get yield on whatever that is. Now I say all that, that's like what sort of my hope for the project is. It is not that right now. Um, and so I don't know if this is going to come to fruition or not, but there is a super cool logo and some, a cool couple animations. So, well, let's talk about the idea. What, uh, cause again, I think you're approaching this whole idea of like a lightning wallet or again, I don't know what you're going to describe it as, but like you have ideas for like how to implement DLCs over lightning, correct? I'm trying to think of everything you put in that thread. Yeah. You had glider so, integration. Yeah. So I guess basically the idea is like, there's a lot of really cool tech going on. And I feel like each tech is building their own app, right? So you have, you know, um, Fetiment with the uh, Chami and eCash. So you can have a, a mint that gives you private, like totally private access to Bitcoin integrated with lightning freaking phenomenal huge fans of that of that uh the app and that project they have their own app then you you have like you know collider um which is uh perpetual futures exchange so you can do like a, a stable sat which is um a way to get a synthetic us dollar exposure but only using bitcoin and the bitcoin usd futures market which is settled in bitcoin um, and, uh, you have something like that. You have LN markets, which is a similar thing to collider. I think they were around a little earlier. Um, same thing you can, and they have lightning enabled send and receive. Um, you have that, you have wallet of Satoshi custodial app, very easy to use, works very well. Um, so you have all these different ways where you can access Bitcoin and lightning all with their different trade-offs. And I just think it would be cool. And then the other thing is there's this need from people in other countries that are experiencing hyperinflation. Um, then they just want dollars. Like they don't care about Bitcoin. Sorry. They just don't. I mean, some people do, but some people don't. Some people, mostly because they don't, a lot of people don't know. But I think the dollar could be our little Trojan horse to get people into Bitcoin. And so, I would love for there to be like a very easy to use uh, Bitcoin USD wallet. Oh, and I also wanted to mention the Bitcoin Beach and uh, Galloy with their stable sats where they have like, there's a community bank that handles the custodying and the hedging of the USD. And then you can have Bitcoin and USD in the, the Bitcoin Beach app. So there are a lot of ways to do um, Bitcoin, Lightning, and stable coins. And so what I've what I the initial thing that I built with Tau Wallet is um, I just used L, the LN Markets API 
and then kind of like made a little wrapper around that and wrote this little library that you can send and receive over Bitcoin Lightning. You can uh, swap to USD and the way you swap to USD is it like takes out a contract um, in the LN markets, the futures market thing. So you get this, you can like create the synthetic USD like right within your little, little app. It's now that's a uh, liability of LN markets. So to have your USD, you're trusting LN markets. Um, but then my hope was that, you know, Tau Wallet, the library could be extended to also use like Collider, or maybe it could plug in with the Fetty Mint, like a Chamian Mint, or because realistically, you could have this uh, the same app where a person can go into the settings and pick how they want their backend to be. Um, and it's possible. So, and then that gives you the extensibility to upgrade because like sort of what I like right now, it's hard. It's really hard to do self-custodial lightning on a mobile app, which is I think why you're seeing a lot of these uh, different approaches like the Chami and Mint. Like there's not enough, there's not enough block space for everyone to have a, a lightning channel. If everyone and for everyone in the world, I don't think. Um, and so we need these sort of trade-offs of a little bit of custody, a little bit of trust. Um, so yeah, and I also really like the stable sats concept, which is, uh, I think Bitcoin Beach and uh, Gala was the first to do this, which is this concept of, there's no need for a stable coin, like just, you know, use, use these Bitcoin futures markets to create a synthetic USD. And then whenever you want to send and receive, there are no, there's not really any US native USD sending rails anyway. You have like ACH, you have credit cards, you have whatever, all that stuff. And then who knows how that works in other countries. So why not just use lightning as the settlement layer? Um, and you can have your USD just kind of like as a, the synthetic hedged thing in your wallet. Um, and when you need to spend, you just close out part of that position, send over lightning and yeah. let your counterparty decide if they want to open up another position and keep that yeah. synthetic or just keep the sets. Exactly. And so I think that's where we're sort of going with Lightning is that if you want to do any type of other coin, that's just going to be your business on your app. And even that's how Taro works from uh, Lightning Labs as well, is that it operates at the edges. So if you wanted to do a Taro stablecoin from Circle USDC on Taro or whatever, you can do that. But when you go send, it's just converting it into Bitcoin and going over Lightning. Um, so optionality a lot of optionality out there it's beautiful to yeah. see yeah so i guess yeah my so i guess a little so the tau wallet you know basically i wrote this little library uh got my designer friend uh to make a couple cool designs launched a little twitter account shielded a little bit <laughs> um, but the cool thing has been there's a lot of people who are excited about it and so we have like a discord we have a telegram uh just in the last over the last weekend, we had three independent uh, contributors each build their own version of a web wallet. Um, so we have now three versions of a web wallet. Now they're all work in progress, but one of them works to send and receive Bitcoin uh, already. And so it's like, it's. I think I just wanted to have some type of open source project that hopefully could inspire uh, people to collaborate on like a single project that's open source 
um, that can solve this USD uh, problem. Um, and a lot of people are excited about it. Now, the one thing though is like, there is existing stuff that's really good. Like Galloway's Bitcoin Beach app is open source. Their whole stack is open source. And so like, I've been looking more and more into that lately and just thinking, wow, they've already done all of this and it is fantastic. And so like, I'm thinking maybe we'll try to collaborate with uh, some existing things. You're looking at the work that uh, Fetty is doing with their uh, the Fluttermint app where they're making a really elegant uh, app for her to integrate with these Chamian Mints. Um, I don't want to like repeat code. Like that's the one thing that I don't like about private software is that it feels like so many people are building different versions of the same thing. Whereas with open source, there can be ways where we all collaborate and make, you know, this one thing better. Um, but yeah, I don't really, I'm not totally sure where Tao's going and just hoping to inspire people to contribute and work together. Um, and yeah, hopefully just like bring, I think the goal is kind of like bring an easy USD experience to people around the world and do that using Bitcoin. And then naturally they're going to see that this Bitcoin thing's better. Um, It'll just close out their position, hold stats, and watch that rip in purchasing power slowly but surely over time, sometimes quickly. Exactly. Sometimes it falls. But no, this is fascinating stuff, man. I'm happy to see you spreading your wings and going after these uh, these projects, your your personal projects. It's I mean, we've I feel like I've been DMing you and we met finally in Miami earlier this year. Um, and again, like I said in the beginning of the rip, uh, I don't think people really appreciate the work that you've done um, at BitGo. I didn't realize you were at BitGo, but like BitGo Cash App. I mean, you've touched some of the most important software in terms of consumer-facing applications that many millions of individuals have used to interface with Bitcoin. Um, so it's cool to see you develop the confidence to go out and build something on your own. What's that like? Is it scary? Marty? No, I mean, I learned so much from, I mean, coming into Bitco, that was my first software job and had uh, just learned a ton from the people there. And then coming to Cash App, being able to learn from these like elite engineers who were very experienced with like, I mean, Cash App was already like, they already had Bitcoin when I got there. They already were, were super big. And so just like being able to watch these people operate, learn from them for two and a half years, um, definitely learned so much. And now, yeah, it's, I don't know. I mean, it's really fun. Like it's really fun to have the freedom to, cause anytime I was at a company, like I, you know, I couldn't really like, you know, drop something and promote it. Cause then it's like, oh, is that part of the company or is that his own thing or I don't know. And then also just having the free time to explore, like working, working a real job, you know, you just have commitments and meetings and, uh, bugs come up, got to fix them. You have assignments, you know, work assigned you, you've committed to, but now it's like, I just have this freedom to, I, cause I feel like there's so many cool projects. Like we didn't even talk about Ellen bits. Like Ellen bits is a super cool thing as well. Um, that's making lightning super easy. And just now I have the time to like dig into all of these 
read code, experiment, tinker, and then just try to figure out like how to connect like the dots. Cause I feel like a lot of people are consumed in what they're building, but then, and it takes someone in, you know, not everyone has time to go understand all the things that are being built. And so I think one of my roles to play in this is to step back, take the time to synthesize all the things that are being built and then sort of like make the little connections that will give us, you know, exponential returns on our ecosystem. So. Hell yeah. Let's go. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, again, like we're on the cutting edge here, freaks. If you don't, this hasn't been drilled into your head yet. It's, it's fascinating. If, like, what would you recommend to any developers out there who may want to contribute um, to Tau, get it, uh, acquainted with DZ, or just get into developing on Bitcoin and Lightning generally? Yeah, I mean, if you're a developer and you can already code a little bit and you want to just start learning about Bitcoin stuff, like I have a lot of work that... I, that can help me with my stuff, like my DZ stuff, which is kind of a personal thing, um, or the Tau stuff, which is more of an open source community effort. Um, I would say just like hop in one of our discords. The DZ has a discord, Tau has a discord. They also, each of those have telegrams as well. Um, I'm trying to also, I'm do bounties for DZ now. So, um, I have a lot of, there's a lot of work to be done on the DZ platform that I'm like, I'm not raising money right now for this thing. Um, I don't have any official teammates or anything, um, but I'm have a budget from myself that I'm willing to pay out bounties to help help grow my my product. Um, so if you, if you wanna do some work, get in touch with me, Telegram, Twitter, Discord, and uh, I can find some work for you probably. Um, I'm not at the point where if you're like trying to learn how to code, I don't have, I'm not at the point where I can like teach you how to code. Uh, I think eventually I would love to have some type of school. Uh, I guess, you know, I would give a shout out to um, Satsi from Cat, from uh, CASA, mm-hmm. just released a little Bitcoin development school type of thing, like a web experience where you can learn Bitcoin programming. And uh, Nifty Nay also has Base58 Academy, which is another place to learn. Um, those are two things you can check out if you're trying to like learn some of the basics. Um, I'm looking more for people who already have sort of developer experience, but are looking for cool stuff to work on. Uh, I'll be happy to pay bounties out for contributions to DZ. And then the Tau stuff is more of an open source if you feel motivated, there's a cool community of people who are all contributing for free, but uh, also the opportunity with with both of these to uh, turn them into real companies. I think the Tau thing could turn into a company. So if you're like an early contributor there, like you could end up being part of a team that like raises money or something, but um, yeah. Hell yeah. We'll link to all of this in the show notes. <laughs> Danny, this has been a pleasure. We hit it all. It has been a pleasure. Yeah, I'm so glad we got to do this, Marty. I hope uh, hope it was an interesting one. I oh, think it was. Certainly interesting. I mean, we talked about lightning, pedophiles, Tau. We hit it all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but you got to get your ass to Austin soon. <laughs>
you gotta kind of since you have all this free time you should come work out the comments for a week yeah definitely all right um i guess that's all we got today freaks Danny, all right you go enjoy the rest of your tuesday sir thank you marty and uh yeah i hope hope you can enjoy your tuesday as well hope those the two two kids now is not too much for you two it's uh the jump from one to two is kicks you in the face wow still adjusting but adjusting well i wouldn't change i wouldn't change a thing it's incredible right. I'm you're sure starting you're to interact now the older one's trying to make the younger one laugh and the younger one loves when he tries it it's, it's awesome it's awesome nice go have nice. kids freaks i guess we'll end it there go have kids peace and love Dickie!